0: Or perhaps you're just
1: overwhelmed with all of the editing work. Well, we can help you with that also.
0: You can check out our website at weknowpodcasting.com for more information.
1: We're excited to help your podcasting dreams become a reality.
2: Monday morning feels so bad.
1: Everybody seems
0: to The Easy Beats formed in 1964 and immediately began to take Australia by storm. But here in the U.S., We only ever got one single from them, the extremely unique Friday On My Mind. Then, as quickly as they formed, the Easy Beats quietly broke up. This week, we're joined by Katie Cole, who lets us know why, despite being a one-hit wonder in the US, the band holds great cultural importance in her home country of Australia.
1: It is all you need to make the money guaranteed, and you can live off royalties forever.
0: And it makes me wonder, is it just a wonder, it one hit thunder? So Katie, this is crazy. I fancy myself a music enthusiast, and... I got to admit right off the bat here, I had never heard of the Easy Beats, which you being from Australia probably think that's insane because apparently the Easy Beats are to Australia like David Hasselhoff is to Germany, it seems like, because it seems like they're one of the most popular Australian bands of all time. Am I wrong about that?
2: Well, it's up there. It's one of those it's a reference band so they were really one of the first bands if not the first band and it may be the first band to basically cross the pond and have international success so they are definitely a household name but it's more of that um, there's a legacy that comes with them so it's you know I mean obviously they're not the Beatles they're not the Stones they're not the Beach Boys but it was of the same era and to come from Australia being such a small population for such a big, big country, it was a very big deal.
0: They opened doors and it seems like they, they led the way yep. for a, a lot of o- other artists. Oh, yeah. And talking about this song, first and foremost, this song is wild. Yeah. This song's crazy. I you, You're probably used to hear, you've heard it forever. And it's a normal part of your life, probably hearing it on the radio and everything. But I heard this song for the first time this week in preparation for this episode. And I was like, Wow, this song's insane! It is not your run of the mill bubblegum. You know, early. You know, you think of early Beatles songs, and they're very bubblegum pop. You know, major. Exactly. This song's insane.
2: Well, ex- exactly, and that's part of the reason why they were so big because they were doing things that other bands just weren't doing, and like the way that the, the guitarists were working together, they were just they were creating a thing that wasn't really established yet and and until you sort of dig into their history and go, oh, 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 that's where they went, oh, that's why, and that's... They really were just super, super talented and to me they definitely were ahead ahead of the curve in every respect, regardless of being from Australia or not. I
0: gotta say that they're pretty punk rock for being a pre-punk rock band. This song alone. First of all, those verses the minor key the dissonant leads the backup vocals of those verses with the <laughs> the 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 do 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 backup vocals mm-hmm. oh my god it's insane and i when i first heard it 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 threw me for a loop that this was a giant song i mean i had read that this was by somebody who was it oh the australasian performing rights association they named this song we're talking about today the best Australian song of all time. Yeah. <laughs> so w- when I mm-hmm. saw that, I was like, wow, we're really gonna get into it with this band.
1: Also on that list that jumped out at me, because I know that one day we will have to cover them as well, but at number three was uh, Midnight Oil with Beds Are oh. Burning."
2: So good. I swore to my, because I do a lot of online concerts, because. that's just that's what that's what you got right now that's you're running with it but like i usually do themed like online concerts on website called stage it and i put a poll together for like what's my next concert gonna be is it gonna be this or is it gonna be this and my two choices were um, my choice completely, like no request, just I picked the songs. And my other choice was like all Australian. And so my next show coming up is going to be all Australian. And you can bet that that Minotaur song is going to be on it. And, Hell yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of great Australian rock, but it's, as you probably started to work out after digging into this band, A lot of it stemmed from the Easy Beats crossing over and really establishing Australia as a place for um, rock and roll.
0: Absolutely. Hey, before we get more into the Easy Beats, I got to ask you, you're from Melbourne, right? Correct. Is there any sort of Melbourne versus Sydney rivalry when it comes to, because I'm looking at the, I, I have a big list of bands and artists that are from Melbourne, and then I have a bunch of bands that are from Sydney. I'll be honest with you, I probably lean Melbourne between the two.
2: Well, honestly, like it's hard because when you grow up in Australia, it's like, you know, uh, Melbourne versus Sydney or Australia versus New Zealand. And then you move out of the country and then it's like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> right, right. Just,
1: yeah, over here, we don't even know Australia, and New Zealand, are different places. So. Well, <laughs> yeah.
2: honestly, if a, if a, if a great song, band, actor, or movie comes out of New Zealand, we like we'll just we'll just claim them as we're like it's like we'll just encompass them like America does with Canada. You know, you just yeah. it just becomes part of you know part of the bigger picture, the Borg, the Borg of right. music and entertainment. Yeah, for the
0: listeners, real quick, Melbourne, you guys had Crowded House. Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Air Supply, The Living End, Jet, Men at Work, Body Jar, and King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Those were the notable bands that I was like, damn, Melbourne has a lot of good artists. Sydney had the Easy Beats, but we'll get into that a little little bit further about whether... I guess Sydney can claim the easy beats. But they also have ACDC in excess, Midnight Oil, The Vines, the Divinals, and Frenzel of Rom. Uh, so I don't know. I would lean Melbourne. I'm a, I'm on Team Melbourne if we're if we're picking sides. But I get well,
2: it. I'm from Melbourne, so it's like I'm I'm always gonna sort of side with you know with my people. I think it's yeah. a more I think it's a weirdly more cultural city. But honestly, like I'm now at that point where I don't even care who came from where. I'm just like, let's just all hug. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. You're psyched. How long have you been living in the United States?
2: Yeah, it'd be ten years now, because I put okay. out I put out my first American EP in 2011, and wow. like, and if you're counting 2020 as a year.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, not really. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's only been nine then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so any yeah, so I get what you're saying. Anybody that's coming out of Australia, you can just claim them. There's no Melbourne versus Sydney anymore. No. S- talking about the Easy Beats now, they're from Sydney, of course, but nobody in the band was actually born in Australia. No, like yeah.
2: I mean, I always tell people like the origin of all rock and roll is not from Australia because almost everybody that was born from rock and roll is either English, mostly Scottish, but as you, as you sort of looked into it too, it's like you had someone that was Dutch, some English people, and a couple of Scots. And I mean, that's yeah. a really good representation of Australia just in general sense. Like everyone is from everywhere, but everyone's aware of it. So there isn't, right. it's just like everyone's got weird accents and whatever, and you're just like, Ugh. yeah
0: Yeah, and grant granted they all came here as children and their story is awesome they lived together in the villawood migrant hostel (laughs) where all, all their families lived and that's where they were young kids and they started a band that's a pretty cool story that i i watched some videos of them going back to like the place they grew up and you know of course the hostel wasn't there anymore you know kind of an underdog story i like that
2: yeah and I got to ask
0: you, were you a real little kid when you first heard the Easy Beats? Was this a, Mm -hmm. this was a household song? It's a household
2: song. And like, it's one of those songs that was used in like a ton of commercials, but I'm positive it was used as like a song for like one of the news network, not the news, but like one of the actual major channel network songs as well. Like it was just there. It was always there and like that, as soon as you heard that sort of octave riff, you you like, you knew. It, it was just somebody playing a bit of that or covering a bit of that, just from the opening of the song. It was definitely something, it was just there. I grew up and it was just there. It wasn't even a question.
1: I think it's also one of those things where in the same vein as something we talked about in the very beginning of the podcast when we did uh, I Don't Like Mondays by the Boomtown Rats. Yeah, I feel like if you have a song and a day is in the song title, People are going to jump on that as some type of like, oh, it's Friday. You know, I I could see like radio stations just being like, oh, it's Friday. Here's Friday always on my like <laughs> yeah ex-
2: no, but it was definitely one of those songs like going into the weekend and yeah, it was it was just there. The, it was it was just part of the. You know, it's like when you when you're in Australia and because like the '60s, '70s, and you know, part of the '80s were really like a. A big boom for rock and roll, but a big boom for rock and roll coming out of Australia. Like, you just didn't really differentiate between what was Australian and what was international, because Australian, the Australian music scene from, like, I grew up in an extremely musical household. My mum is like, I don't even know how to explain the amount of music that she played to me and my sister growing up, but like, we were, you know, we were raised on listening to... Zeppelin and Woodstock, and, <laughs> and just everything like, literally everything. So, there was always music, but like, you we were always fed like this sort of equal components of English music and American music, and then there was a good chunk of Australian music in those sort of decades coming through obviously not so much i mean it, it's still there but it's not the it's not encouraged and supported the way it was back then there's just it, it just isn't because you're not seeing those the amount of bands crossing over the way that the, the way that they did back then but the the talent was extreme like again knowing the population of australia versus america to have like bands like yeah Midnight Oil and of course ACDC which we'll, we'll obviously get into with this story as well. But the level of musicianship coming out of Australia was just exceptional and I don't know like it always sort of surprised me certain bands that didn't quite make it over or they'd go over to the US and have these big showcases. You'd hear all these stories of like these, these other bands that were in the 80s that didn't quite make it but... You know yet in excess you know cross you know just you hear all these stories and it's like it always fascinates me like why this band why this song why this time and there's never an answer to it but Friday in my mind was the one that got the easy bits over that line for Australia and obviously the rest of the world started to go well you know aside from this band and what, what other songs they had but they started to look at the rest of Australia and going well what else do you have like it became like not just this far off, distant land with strange kangaroos and right. people. It became like a like oh, this this is a really talented band. What else right. you got? Nice. It
1: almost makes you feel like, of course, it's the number one song, like the number one song from Australia. Like, like it's the same thing as like. It's never a shock to hear, you know, Smells Like Teen Spirit listed as the number one most important song of the 90s because it's almost yeah. like you don't even have a 90s without yeah. it, really. Like, yeah, and that's know, that's, like, that's,
2: the, that's a really great equivalency to say that because you wouldn't really have sort of this rock music, you know, whether you call it pop or rock or whatever you want to call it, um, you just wouldn't have that scene without this band being sort of the first to take everyone for that same ride
0: did you know the names of the guys in this band like people know the names of the beatles and and rolling stones and and things like did you know little stevie did you know who little stevie was
2: no i knew ste i knew stevie right because he went on to have other hits which i don't think crossed over to america as well like he had evie part one two and three which it was was huge in australia as well. i saw
0: stuff about that yeah he
2: was a name i knew that the, the, there were two guys in the band like I didn't like I knew that one of them was young and someone was something but like I didn't even make that connection until it was like didn't isn't that also young and then did my homework on obviously the not only the songwriting partnership but their whole production sort of partnership as well and was just blown away with like this band not only being the one to sort of cross the line internationally but <laughs> to establish one of the biggest parts of rock history sort of on the planet yeah. <laughs> like to be involved with that is just absolute insanity and I wasn't familiar with all of their names no what not a at front all.
0: man this guy was I watched so many live videos of them and this guy it's huge personality oh my, for, and they call him little stevia I, yeah. I couldn't get an exact answer on how little he was <laughs> and I know compared to the one really big guy who I think was harry vonda which was he was an extremely tall blonde dutch man (laughs) and also a sick guitarist like insanely sick guitarist but this guy as a lead singer was wild he had so many awesome moves reminded me honestly it's funny kind of reminded me i don't know if you've ever seen them live when they were a band katie but the band at the drive-in this dude was doing the spins and the convulsing and just crazy jumping off of things and at the same time singing perfectly. And on top of that, he's a total hunk. I, I said, this guy, yeah. this guy literally is like probably like better looking than anybody in the Beatles or the Stones. I, I seriously, I was looking at yeah. him like,
2: damn, that guy's good looking too. Well, that's the thing about rock stars though. Like he he's a good looking guy, but like with rock stars, with what they do and the way they perform and whatever swagger and whatnot they bring to the table it all convinces you that they're extremely attractive. Yeah. But when you just look at a picture of Nick Jagger or Roger Daltrey or someone like that, yeah, you're just like, right.
1: what? <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, Mick Jagger Mick Jagger's like the perfect example. Like if Mick Jagger didn't have the stage presence that he had, there's no way in hell that man would ever be like a, a heartthrob.
2: No, it was, it was really amazing. Like, and it was an amazing time for music. Obviously, there were so many bands that were really on the same wavelength with it whether they knew it or not obviously that you know that was the era where the brit invasion was really taking over and obviously you can hear direct influences in if you've listened to multiple songs by the easy beats i don't yes. know if you have but you can hear like you know to me or well, you can hear like the yard birds and the kinks and obviously the Beatles. but you can hear those just where they're going with it with their musicality and like to me it's really impressive to, to have a band like that coming from like When you're from australia it's like australia (laughs) because we're all really down to earth and we're you know we never think in terms of like we compete with everyone and we are the best like i I mean i moved to america to to realize that americans are really sort of brought up to think that they can be present and they can be the best because you can in america it's, it's this incredible sort of life that you can build something out of nothing and literally can be exposed to hundreds of millions of people to sell a product or whatever it is that you're doing, but in Australia it's just like, you know, good idea. Just go get a job, be a nice bloke. Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> like that's the that's the mentality that you sort of brought up with to not be too big or too full of yourself or whatever. Yeah. Um, so to hear like the story of where this band came from and. Just the multiple legacies that they brought with them, it was just, like, when I started digging into it, it was like, it wasn't just like, oh, here's this one song, and then it was like, oh, this other song, oh, and that other song, and then how many songs, if there were any songs of theirs that you recognize, but, like, the fact that they are listed and considered to be, like, a one-hit wonder band, and then you look into their, into their catalog, and it's like, there's, you know good times like there's just all these songs and you're like oh man you know that's nuts you know here
0: in the united states we do think the world revolves around us so therefore we consider this a one-hit wonder (laughs) even though they're not at all in australia but we we don't care about that we only care because honestly i understand why i didn't know this song it peaked at only like number 16 in the united states and we're talking in like 1966 yeah Yeah, so It it makes sense that I didn't know it. I could have heard it along the way, but... Let's take a quick second to pause because this
1: kind of made me laugh. One of the things that I always look into when we're doing the research is obviously the year that this song was released, what were the best-selling singles of that entire year? Like, what were the songs that that dominated the radio? So here's what was dominating the radio in America in 1966 when this song came out. All right. Uh, Frank Sinatra's Strangers in the Night, and then we had The Beatles' Day Tripper, Followed by the Beatles' Yellow Submarine. Followed by the Beatles' Eleanor Rigby. <laughs> I knew
0: that's where this was yeah. going.
1: Followed by the Beach Boys' Good Vibrations. Nice. And the Beatles' Paperback Riders. So, right,
0: right. Exactly. So, so that makes sense. I mean, they had some stiff competition from the Beatles. and You can't mess with the Beatles. And just in the same vein as the Beatles, the Easy Beats, their entire catalog, their entire career is over the span of only four years. Yeah. Like, they had they started their band they rose to fame and they broke up all in a matter of four years do you realize how fast that is (laughs) that is so i mean the beatles is fast too. the beatles is eight years yeah i was just gonna say it's not too different yeah yeah it's insane
2: well they did they happened they happened that fast and they they will never be that fast ever again
1: this was probably the biggest thing to make me appreciate how unique the easy beats sound is And, and as katie said like how forward thinking it is it was it was almost ahead of its time in a lot of ways is like when you look at the songs that were on the chart at the time that it hit 16 like "Groovin' by the young rascals was the number one song in america but like number five on the list was respect by aretha franklin and I think if you played me those two songs together, I would never guess they were on the charts at the same time. They seem like two completely different decades almost. No, no,
0: that's right. nuts. You got to keep that Motown stuff in mind, too, because, man, so many, so many hits. There's stiff competition in the 60s, so it makes sense that maybe it would only rise to number 16. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 2020 Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020 where myself, Benny Goodman,
1: Chris, you know, while we're talking about the Easy Beats, I was thinking of something else that's pretty easy.
0: What's that? Men's Hygiene! Ah, oh, good call, man. Once again, One Hit Thunder is being sponsored by Manscaped, who have made men's grooming an easy and simple process.
1: Exactly! Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. In fact, Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right. The 4.0. That's a perfect grade point average, Matt. (laughs) Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off. And free worldwide shipping with the code CRAZYTOWN at manscaped.com.
0: Yep, just butterfly over to their site, use the code CRAZYTOWN, that will let them know that we sent you, and you'll get 20% off and free shipping with the code CRAZYTOWN at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping, that's a great deal, at manscaped.com. Use the code CRAZYTOWN, I got a 4.0. I use it. I think it's amazing. You can unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped.
1: And now that we're done discussing the ease of taking care of that pubic hair, let's get back to the easy beats.
0: Yeah, that's a good call. One more thing I want to say just about like the structure of this song that I think is so unique and so cool is that they intentionally, I talked earlier about the way those The verses are that that minor key with that kind of a dissonant lead and the weird backup vocals that they were intentionally because the song is about the work week and like, you know, the grind and, you know, having to work for the man and things like that. They wanted the verses to make you feel that way. And once I heard them talk about that and read about it, I was like, "Wow, that's so cool!" And then you get that release when it's Friday, when you're at the chorus, you get that like <laughs> joyful release. And I, that's so clever and unique and cool. And and man, I really like this song. It's it's, so, I, it's such a cool song. I was song. really
2: impressed, like looking into like the songwriting because I always want to know. I've I, I was that person that grew up. I always wanted to know who wrote what and why and when and and what else mm. they did and who else they wrote with or where it went. So for me, like, looking into this and going, like, I knew, as, as I said, I knew that Stevie Wright had his own career, but to hear that, like, the first few songs that they recorded, they had a couple of hits in Australia and then started working with some people and obviously got them over to the UK to record with, um, like, one of the Kinks producers who'd also worked with a bunch of other bands. And they put out one song that I think they, the song, or the song that they currently had at that time wasn't doing too well and they were like, what else you got? And they had the title for, we've got this song, Friday My Mind. And like the producer was like, yep. Because it's like the other songs that they'd written, like, weren't doing so well because it was, um, I think it was George Young and Stevie Wright writing the songs at that time. And they were dominantly writing all the songs. And that's when Harry was switched in to write the songs with, jo- with George instead, with George Young. So then it became Young and Vanda doing or Vander and Young, however, which way you want to go. But it became they became the dominant writing team, and I thought that was really interesting to find out that that switch had just happened, and that sort of was the explosion of their career and obviously the explosion of them becoming this writing and production team that just never stopped.
0: Right. And hey, we didn't even get into George Young yet. For anybody who's listening, George Young, the older brother of ACDC's Malcolm and Angus Young, (laughs) which is insane. He also produced some of their earlier work. What a musical family. I
2: believe it was their first eight records. (laughs) first eight records
0: <laughs> wow so acdc's career is a little little bit longer than the easy beats career again huh?
2: like i always tell people like you know australian like all the best rock comes from australia i'm like well they're all scottish people in australia it's it's like it's nuts and even like obviously colin Hay from men at work acdc we've got a bunch of other scots as well in other bands but like to have these three brothers george being the older one and obviously being Malcolm and what's his face that become like, oh, this was just my little brother's band. <laughs>
1: like, you know, yeah. like, it's just nuts. When you're thinking about AC/DC and the length of that band, you have to factor in that, like, that band didn't even really truly break into the United States until their second vocalist. Like, I
2: think they... it was Highway to Hell. Like, that record broke them. And then obviously, I think it was the record after that that Brian Johnson joined, but just, to hear that like this really like the origin of rock and roll really stemmed from this like in a big way like one of the big like one of the biggest bands in rock and roll is arguably ACDC and you really can't talk about rock and roll without mentioning them at all like it's to me it's the probably the biggest band in rock and roll and to to think that that would I mean it may it may have happened may this may that if let's play the if game but to know that it all sort of came from the, you know the record label saying nah we want you know these songs aren't good enough you know you come you know and it was only because you know Harry Vander had just his English had gotten so much better because he was a Dutch guy it was like well you write the songs and it was just be becoming and you can hear it obviously now like these two guitarists doing these counterparts like the rhythm and then the counterpart and playing these big sort of roles and you can see how that heavily influenced the ACDC doing the thing. How could you not take influence from that listening to these? I mean that's that's really part of the ACDC thing having these block guitars but also these parts within them when it's relevant. Obviously the Easy Beats is way more sort of Beatlesque, and it's you know, in its origin, but you can hear it like you listen to it, and you're like, "Oh wow, that's that's the origin story for ACDC, un- You know, undeniably.
1: Right. But isn't that kind right. of the interest? I find that so interesting in music in general is that like the most important bands were influenced by by a lesser known band in so many cases, uh-huh. and like like the examples that I always think of is like. Jan and Dean. There wouldn't be a Beach Boys if there wasn't a Jan and Dean, or even the Beatles, who all said that Harry nielsen was the best band that Harry they've ever nielsen. listened to. Like, yeah, like there's all yeah. these dudes who are not household names, but like they are. You know, we always say that saying, or your favorite band's favorite band. Like, that's it.
2: Yeah, and like I, I mean, honestly, like digging. Like I picked this song and this band for the for a reason because they're Australian, but because I knew there was a bigger story there and. Like, it took me to sort of dig into it to be like, oh, holy crap, like, all of those things, like, just, like, I knew that they wrote Good Times, but, like, I forgot until I was watching Lost Boys, and it's like, you could hear, like, there's an In Excess cover of Good Times in in that, you know, I'm gonna have a good time tonight, you know, and I was just like, oh, yeah, that song, <laughs> and then, then it was like, oh, okay, yeah, nice. well, they wrote that. But speaking of- speaking of Lost Boys, to go down the rabbit hole just for two seconds, did you guys watch the Tina Turner documentary recently?
0: No, I want to though. The
2: Tina Turner one is worth watching. I just went down the rap- I'm going down the Lost Boys rabbit hole just for five seconds because it's hilarious to me. But like, that's- obviously that song was in that movie, but the, you know there's a- you know how there's that weird saxophone guy playing on the board work? In that- yes. in that one scene? That saxophone player plays in Tina Turner's band because I was watching the documentary and I was just like, I was like, that's that guy from that movie in that thing. Like, I just put all these pieces. Like, none of these dots connect, but I'm making them and they're forming some weird picture in my brain.
1: So while we're in the weird tangent of the yeah. Lost Boys, uh, one of the one of the other podcasts that I produce is an all horror movie podcast. And the awesome. last the last convention that we were at, that saxophone guy was a guest of honor at this convention and did a free concert. Yes! And I (laughs) promise you, I did not see that man with a shirt for three straight days. He sat at his booth in just some leather pants and his ponytail an oiled-up shirtless signing autographs. I was <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs>
2: like, this dude is living the
1: gimmick. He's I love it. Living the dream.
2: It's, ama- it's amazing <laughs> yeah. when, like, when the- we realize that those people exist. So I-, I just always remember. I remember <laughs> names and faces, and they mean, like, I have this catalog in my brain of all these things that I know, and I never get to put them together because my brain just remembers the weirdest stuff. But, yes, there you go. well, congratulations on having that wonderful moment.
1: I mean, this song, for a song that I was, like, like when I heard it I kind of recognized it probably from just like riding in my parents car listening to like the oldies and classic rock station but the amount of big name artists that have covered this song mm-hmm. was in, impressive to me. We had David Bowie did it. Peter Frampton did it. Ben Lee did it. Blue Oyster Colt. Me first and the gimme Gimmies, Bruce Springsteen and Squeeze have all done covers of this song. Like that's wow. crazy.
0: That's a, that, I watched Springsteen play it live. It was like 2014 when he played in Sydney and it was awesome because he sang it. He sang it real tough. It was good. <laughs> and, uh, and the whole crowd sang every word, and I was like, "Damn, the, those people the, had to be so psyched!" Best,
2: it's the best way to win over a crowd: play one of their local songs, and you—you you got them. You got them. From, well, you got apparently right the, the
1: David
0: Bowie—the
1: David Bowie cover is the only one that the Easy Beats actually enjoyed. <laughs>
0: wow, really
1: upsetting to think that the Easy Beats weren't into the Me First and the Gimme give cover, because wow. I'm sure it was <laughs> delightful.
2: But that's proof of what you were saying about like your—you know—favorite your band's favorite band. Like all these people going, "Oh, that's cool," you know, "That's cool." Yeah.
0: Yeah. Right. As a bassist, I got I got to talk about the bassist of the Easy Beats real quick. His name is Dick Diamond, which totally sounds like a name from Boogie Nights <laughs> or something, but that's not actually his name. He's a Dutch man and his full name is Dingeman Adrian Henry Vandersleese, <laughs> which is absolutely incredible name. He's one of He's one of the two Dutch guys in the band. Yep. And he was very shy. Like all the other guys were like rocking out. I mean, especially Little Stevie. By the way, quick side note: there's only one Little Stevie. We, we got the Little Stevie over here, and it's it's not Bruce Springsteen's guitarist, and it's not this Little Stevie. It's our Little Stevie Wonder. Yeah. But you're all the way across the world. We'll, we'll let that slide. Uh, anyway, back to Dick Diamond. He was very shy and really reserved on stage. He basically just stood there and played his bass. But his moment to shine was when in this song, Come and See Her, he had, he had one vocal where the music stopped and he went, like, I can't even, I can't remember what the, the melody of it was, but it was basically like, come and see her, <laughs> come and see her. That was his moment to shine. Uh, he was raised by Jehovah's Witnesses who did not approve of the fact that people looked up to his son they did not like that so that may have uh, attributed to his you know reserved nature after the band was done he just lived it up being dick diamond he did, he did he just he was in a legendary australian band and i don't think he did anything else musically after that he just lived his best dick diamond life after <laughs> that, which is cool
2: <laughs> that's a good little piece of history right then yeah, <laughs> yeah do you guys
0: want to go down a little bit of a sad upsetting road
2: for a second here we can do that and
0: about little stevie do you know do you know what happened to little stevie by any chance katie
2: i know he, i know he passed a few years ago i don't know what happened
0: so after the band had broken up developed a heroin addiction in 1976 during he was in a production of jesus christ superstar so a psychiatrist administered a highly controversial treatment called deep sleep therapy which was supposed to treat drug addiction through Mm a through a combination of drug-induced coma and electroconvulsive therapy and because of this Stevie suffered brain damage and like lifelong after effects. I saw interviews with him as an old man, and you you could tell. The scandal was exposed, and the doctor, Harry Bailey, committed suicide after that. Stevie did live until 2015. He died of pneumonia in 2015 at age 68. But I guess after this deep sleep therapy, Stevie was not the same. And, uh, you know, it's pretty sad. I mean, that was only, you know, five or six years after we're looking at this fresh-faced, handsome crazy front man yeah
2: well it's uh, i mean that's obviously devastating to hear that i didn't know about that i knew that he went into um drug addiction and alcohol abuse because a lot of musicians do but like reading as well about young and vanda they that they had debts to pay off from the band and just continued going back to the uk to to, uh, to pay off their record label debts because Obviously, a lot of money had been spent. Like everybody knows, you live the dream, you live the dream until it all has to be paid back <laughs> at some point. Right, right. So they just continued touring for you know whatever it was, four or five years till they went back to Australia, and that's when they opened up their um, their production studio, went back to their original producer that they that they'd worked with, Ted Albert, and started their thing. But like. It could have easily gone horrible for them too. I, re- I really think that it's it's like you get given this these big shots in life as a musician and all that, and then it's just like and it's over and go away now. <laughs> like that's yeah, that's yeah. kind of how it is for a lot of rock stars. And I think it's obviously it, it didn't it didn't work out for Stevie Wright. Obviously it, he had obviously that all those tragedies happened to him but was amazing to hear the strange recovery story from the you know the two production team members that they managed to get out and it's so i mean it's i can't imagine what it's like to go over to a big country or a big city have success and then come back and be like well (laughs) like what do you do now like what are you supposed to do you've had this success and fame and whatnot but the fact that they got out of it, paid off their debt, and started making records for their little brother's band. <laughs> right. I, I mean
0: the, the the George Young and Harry Vanda part of the story that's is the happy inspiring, ending. and that's the happy part where I I watched a little mini documentary about them, and those two. I mean, they looked great. Yeah. <laughs> they were in their studio, looking great, happy, like they had. They're hit makers, so. You know, so it's, it doesn't, it's not all a sad story. And despite Stevie's rough patch, he did, he did live a long time after that. You know, I, I, I have to think that he had, you know, some quality of life. He, he was, he wasn't like completely out of it. I just think that it's sad. It was a lot was taken from him. That's clear. Right. Coming away from this, I got to say. I'm an Easy Beats fan now. You did it, Katie. You made me an Easy Beats fan. I gotta I got I'm gonna think of you every time now <laughs> when I hear the Easy Beats. You you opened my eyes to a band. A lot of times. There's only been a few times on this show where I didn't know the song. I actually didn't know the Boomtown Rats song, and I was like, oh, eh, that song's okay. Had a cool story behind it. But this one, I needed to know about this band. This is, I think This so. is really cool. Well,
2: you can't. It's like once you know a piece of rock history or whatever, you can't unknow it. And once you make all those connections, it's like, you're like, ah. Oh. Like <laughs> right, right. I I, mean, I felt ridiculous from being in Australia, not knowing this huge connection to ACDC, like, that's my people. I should know this I should have been born and raised, and that should have been taught in school. The reason Australia is great is because <laughs> 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 Crocodile yeah. Crocodile Dundee and The And
0: I will add to that, and, and this is a nice segue, another reason Australia is great, even though you've been here for 10 years, is Katie Cole. And I want to talk about your career and what you have going on, because you have an impressive resume. First of all, it's the elephant in the room. You play in Smashing Pumpkins, which is pretty badass. And how... Did that first happen? I don't know. Tell us all about it. I want to know all about it.
2: Craigslist? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. We had a mutual connection. My my producer, Howard Willing, is a longtime collaborator of the Pumpkins and had worked on Adore and Machina and those records. He knew about me as an artist and asked. Basically, it started as a, me opening up a show for Billy Corgan. And then it became the following year after that which was 2015 do I want to open up this sort of acoustic electro tour and then then it was would well, you want to open up the show but also play some bass during the, the the show too and I'm like yep and then they extended onto that playing the tour the year after that where Jimmy Chamberlain came back into the picture and James Eha came back for some shows too I've told this story quite a few times before but I was playing bass on stage and watching this sort of reformation of this piece of rock history I could see it like I could see the look in the audience's eyes and I could see what was happening on stage and I'm like this is really good because I really hadn't played all played together in a long time it just kept growing from there where the pumpkins made another record with um, Rick Rubin and we did an arena tour and I got to play sold out Madison Square Garden and Wembley and all these huge huge, huge places and it's just continued on from there. We did festivals in 2019 and I did some opening shows for Billy Corgan in Europe. And, like, I've been running my own career for obviously a long time, touring and touring and putting out EPs and records. And, I mean, my career started in Los Angeles when I first lived there. I'm in Nashville now singing and um, opening up shows for Glenn Campbell and I sang on um, one of his records. And, I, I mean, I've, I've just been doing this bit of everything, but having these amazing opportunities come my way and just sort of jumping on board of whatever I can do, Um, just basically saying yes to everything that I could that was, you know, good.
0: That's absolutely what I was going to say. When I look at your resume, like as a songwriter, you've written for Gloria Gaynor. Yeah. So you've written dance music. You sang on Dean Martin on a, a, the Christmas, mm-hmm. on a, a Christmas song and yep. Cheap Trick. Mm hmm. Is that right? Well, well, I damn, Glenn Campbell, all all over the spectrum is basically what I'm getting at and spashing yeah. Pumpkin's like <laughs> that's amazing. That's incredible.
2: Yeah, I've been really lucky. Like I've learned so much from saying yes to things that I'm not sure I can handle and come I just step into it and just sort of let go of the fear. Um, and just sort of go for it because you don't have a choice. Like if you say yes to something, you are doing it. You're going to, you, you, yeah. you are there. It's, you just go and do, it, do the thing and you worry about it afterwards. There's no time for stress in front of tens of thousands of people or whatever it is. You just go do a thing whether it's opening Absolutely. up a show in front of a, an audience that is not your audience at all like I've I've managed to win over so many incredible smashing pumpkins fans during the like the 2016 tour I did crowdfunding and then put out an EP yeah. during the 2018 tour, so like I've had these weird, I've had these weird sort of parallel sort of events, and I'm, I'm actually crowdfunding at the moment. I just launched a brand new um crowdfunder on Kickstarter that's doing really really well. Like, I'm absolutely blown away by the fans, and just they're just jumping in, and just I'm just seeing so much love so early, and I'm just blown away.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm very excited for this EP too, having watched. The video and i have you know started following you on instagram and just the covers that you've been posting the cover of blackbird specifically everyone who's listening definitely go the the link to the kickstarter campaign is in the show notes for this episode go and donate Yay. to katie just a delightful guest obviously but also just a, a very cool easy to talk to person
0: because <laughs> she's Australian. Because she she doesn't think she's <laughs> she doesn't think she's great. See, she is great. She, she is great. But she doesn't. Think you, she's you now you know that's literally <laughs> yeah. how that's
2: how we are. I always tell people like can't get it out of us. We're just gonna be like this forever. Like we just we just don't get I don't know. Right. We just don't get weird.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> hey, before we go, we we almost forgot to do this, but I think it's gonna be unanimous. We have to decide if the easy beats brought the one hit thunder or if it was a one hit blunder and i don't know is anybody gonna say blunder i don't think that that's gonna happen here right no this is this is definitely a a three-way thunder it's thunder like there's
2: literally a lightning bolt through acdc which they helped create so it's (laughs) like there is definitely thunder
0: there definitely thunder
1: This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Fafalios of Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah and produced by Matt Kelly of the Geekscape Network. This week's guest, Katie Cole, has a Kickstarter for her new EP. Be sure to donate using the link in the episode description. Underneath me, you're hearing Maybe I'm Wrong off the Punchline album Just Say Yes. Visit punchline.com for merch and more updates. If you have any interest in podcasting, visit We for how Chris and I can help make your show sound as professional as possible. And let us know your thoughts on the show by emailing us at onehitthunderpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting apps. And tune in next week for another episode of One Hit Thunder. Get back up,